صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنرز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 اي Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Yusuf. And we have Michael. Michael Sheikh again here. Welcome, Michael. Good morning. We'd like to have you again, uh, Michael. Uh, Michael Sheikh is uh, a political commentator and one of the most devout supporters of Palestine in Australia and a great friend of ours. So we will discuss uh, with Michael uh, Jared Kushner's uh, lame peace plan and the workshop in Bahrain. I know we touched on that uh, a couple of weeks ago, but it will be great if we get Michael's thoughts uh, on it. And we will get to hear the reflections of one of our listeners on a TV program on Gaza last week. So, Michael, what could you tell us about the workshop in Bahrain? Well, according to public relations, it's the Trump administration's revolutionary idea to bring peace between Israel and the Palestinians Mm. by thinking out of the box. And as part of this, there was a um, summit held in Bahrain a couple of weeks ago Um, to promote economic opportunities for the Palestinians and bring foreign investment in. Mm. Uh, Now, all of the Palestinians, regardless of their political affiliations, want nothing to do with it, and they all boycotted it. It actually was one of the few moments of total agreement among Palestinians that we've seen in the last 15 years. Yes, yes. So you've got to wonder... You know, if it's supposed to be about the Palestinians and the Palestinians do um, don't want anything to do with it, why did it go ahead? Mm. What, what's its real agenda? Is it really to bring peace when even its terms of reference are, are nothing to do, you know, are so alien to the Palestinians? And I, I think, you know, um, you've got to look at the historical context in, in which this takes place. Firstly, regarding the Trump administration, It comes at a time when it's cut off all aid to Palestinian refugees. It's recognised Jerusalem as Israel's capital. It's recognised Israeli sovereignty over the Golan Heights. It's closed the Palestinian um, Affairs Office in Washington, D.C. And it's... um, It also cut off the uh, the financial aid to the PA. Exactly, exactly. Mm. And closed the the U.S. Affairs Office in East Jerusalem as well and moved it into the Israeli embassy. Mm. Um, And also um, regarding the the Arab world, um, I think, you know, the the thing that intrigues most people uh, about the conference is the diversity of the people who support it. Mm. What possible program could people like Jared Kushner... um, uh, El-Sisi, the dictator of Egypt, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, Al-Khalifa of Bahrain, Mohammed bin Zalman of um, the Muhammad United... Mohammed bin Zayed. Zayed of um, the United Arab Emirates. Mm. What do they all have in common? Mm. What possible program 
could bring them together in this Israeli-Arab peace initiative. And if you, if you look at their background, it's, it's a very s- simple equation. They're all in their way quite pious men whose loathing of democracy and the ideas of human equality are rooted in a deep commitment to hierarchical society. So all of them, for all of them, the idea of a free, independent, democratic Palestinian state, the example of that in which Jews are as good as Arabs and they live in peace and equality is as shocking and frightening as it is to Netanyahu. Because, mm. and I think we've got to understand, you know, the historic defeat that the Arabs have suffered since the um, crushing of the Arab Spring uh, six years ago. Um, these leaders who sent representatives to Bahrain are not only expressing their flagrant total regard of the Palestinian people, but also for their own people. Because whatever compromises and deals they make with Jared Kushner and the Israelis, the Egyptian people, the Saudi people, the Jordanian people, the Syrian people, the Moroccan people are still 100% pro-Palestine and they want nothing to do with this normalization effort. And, uh, and, and on this uh, popular level, I spoke to uh, uh, an MP from Bahrain who is uh, head of the anti-normalization uh, initiative and they spoke uh, freely about their uh, full support of the Palestinian aspirations, and they expressed their full embarrassment that Bahrain is hosting such a workshop and that the name Manama, the capital of Bahrain, will be affiliated with with such a shameful, shameful uh, anti-Palestinian workshop. Well, I mean, we've got to remember what happened in Bahrain in 2011. You know, it's a majority Shia country, that's ruled by a Sunni royal family. Mm. There were peaceful, sustained and massive protests calling for more democracy and eventually it was crushed with the aid of the Saudi military who mm. were invited across the bridge into the country um, to, 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 you know, d- d- destroy the revolution. Remember that um, Australian footballer, um, soccer player who was on his honeymoon in Thailand and he was arrested and he was about to be deported? He was from Bahrain mm. and eventually... He was let out because he was totally innocent of the crime that he was committed, um, um, you know, treason or something like that, and because there was an overwhelming case that he'll be tortured there. So those are the kind of, like, new friends Mm. um, that Israel's cultivating now. And if you look at it, it's not about bringing peace to Israel and Palestine before. It's about turning the issue of Palestine into an internal security problem so that they become like the Uyghurs, of China or the Kurds of Turkey Iran or, or Iraq. Or, exactly. Yeah. Um, an internal Iran. issue. So, you know, get it off the agenda in a face saving way so that these Arab countries can normalize their relations with Israel and get the Palestinian state off uh, idea off the agenda. And um, the, the fact that they've done it um, against the united opposition of their own people shows um, how alienated the Arab ruling classes are now from the Arab people mm. since the defeat of the Arab Spring. So in parallel with this official uh, Arab uh, position on the Palestinian issue, there is this the so-called anti-imperialist powers of the Middle East, uh, particularly the Iranian project, which is responsible of destabilization 
of uh, Iraq and the destabilization and the occupation and the massacres in Syria and also a long list of other human rights violations against their or their own people when they also do the same injustice to the Palestinian issue by hijacking the Palestinian cause so while they raise the slogans of Jerusalem and raise the slogans of resistance they continue to butcher Iraqis Syrians and Palestinians mm. of Syria and and they continue to support the situation that violates the human rights of the Palestinians in Lebanon. So here is the situation where you have two streams, two opposing streams of powers in the Middle East, one publicly puppet to the American, the other one uh, claiming to be anti-American, two opposing streams who are at conflict with each other, but the common denominator, one thing in common they have, is that they both do damage to the Palestinian cause and to the Palestinian people in different ways. Yeah, I wouldn't. The only thing I disagree with is I wouldn't call them anti-imperialist powers. I'd say that Iran is a regional imperialist power, and Russia is certainly a global imperialist power. Mm. That's why I said the yeah. so-called. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so-called. Yeah. Definitely uh, not anti-imperialist. Yeah. yeah. Look, I mean, in a way, the Palestinians have never been so on their own. Mm. Um, except for the solidarity shown by people, people. around the world. Um, mm. I'm talking about African-Americans. I'm talking particularly about Jewish Americans mm. who are more and more critical of America. And I'm not talking about isolated voices like Norman Finkelstein anymore. Mm. There really is a mm. um, generational gap there. But, you know, there are so many countries that now look to Israel, including Australia, as the way that Australia once was and could be again. Mm. Um, all of these authoritarian leaders like Modi, Orban, Bolsonaro and Trump, um, despite their diversity, they're all 100% behind what Netanyahu is doing. And Netanyahu has always thought that the post-World War II era of the United Nations and international human rights was an historical aberration mm. and that he is leading these new men to a new world order and um, maybe there's some truth to that um, that is a basis in which he reckons he can deal with the Palestinians he thinks he's got much more in common with Sisi and bin Salman mm. than he does with uh, than any of they do with the, the Palestinian people living in Gaza and the West Bank for mm. example so, so again, uh, the Americans want to uh, do it the other way around. They want to discuss uh, economy before they talk politics. Uh, and maybe Robert mm. and I in the car were talking about it. And we well, there's, there's five major things they didn't discuss. Mm. Things is the return of the refugees. and Jerusalem and the settlements, uh, the five major uh, topics. Uh, and also the water resources and the, uh, uh, and the borders. So no discussion at all. No discussion of the Palestinian sovereignty. No, no mention of the Palestinian state. No mention of the Palis even the word Palestinian territories. Uh, you may have read the 40 pages uh, document that was uploaded on the White House in, to explain uh, the Prosperity for Peace uh, initiative. Uh, there's no mention of a Palestinian state and there's no mention of the right of return, nothing political. It's all broad and vague uh, imaginations. Of it's supposed to be about Palestinian development how, and it never mentions the occupation, mm. which 
the World Bank, the IMF, everybody says that's the main reason that Palestinian yes, economy is stuck in the doldrums. No one mention of the word occupation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a big public relations exercise. And, uh, you know, I think even two years ago, the idea of a summit of Arab countries and Jared Kushner discussing the issue of Palestine without abs- any mention absence, of Jerusalem. In the yeah. absence of Palestinians. Yes. It would be unthinkable. No. You just, um, you just said it was a marketing ploy. Do you think it's worked? I, well, certainly not with the Palestinians. Of They're not. not fooled. And certainly not with the Arab world. Um, I think they made the fool out of themselves. I mean, they look look at how, how the world reflects on the peace plan, Kushner plan. They look at him as this incompetent uh, boy who is trying to, you know, come up with a solution to a conflict that is uh, complicated and that's really... Uh, that he has no idea about. He has no idea about. Uh, so, and doesn't care either. He's very uh, biased. And therefore, I think they made fools out of themselves mm. on, on, on an international level. I note that none of the, um, you know, of the Arab representatives there, there were no prime ministers, foreign ministers. They sent very junior functionaries along mm. because nobody wanted to be photographed with Jared Kushner mm. and his PowerPoint presentations, you know. And, you know, uh, I mentioned this briefly on the previous discussion uh, that uh, I didn't see that happening, that Qatar sent uh, its uh, finance minister to Bahrain, a country that they have hostility against. Mm. All of a sudden, they were divided on everything and they were united on Israel. Yeah, that's the other thing. Like I said, the diversity yes. of the people represented. Mm. What does Al-Khalifa have in common? Once again, the hatred of democracy, you know, the commitment to the uh, status quo and the that ba- he does share with Saudi Arabia and Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates. Were the Palestinians represented? And they refused no. to go. I think there was one... Collaborator. There were a few, a few who builds the settlements. You know, yes. a, yeah. It gets even better because I saw the Arabic translation on the White House uh, website yesterday of the forty-page uh, document, and guess what? There were language issues. I was just going to say, <laughs> was, was there grammar issues? <laughs> there was grammar issues. Just, <laughs> just for those who don't know, Yusuf is a translator and a very good one, and he's very critical when he finds errors. I hope, so I, hope you don't, <laughs> I hope you don't mind me bragging about my Arabic expertise, but I did have an intensive review, and let me just give you a few examples. He's <laughs> documented. The Arabic, the Arabic word for prosperity was misspelled more than 70 times. Seventy, but they actually put the word prosperity they in kept, these things. They for kept 40 repeat, pages. and in every in every occasion, it was misspelled. The Arabic word for economy was misspelled more than sixty times. The Arabic word for investment more than fifty times, and then the list goes on. There are more than one hundred and twenty words that they misspelled. Oh. There are more than ten grammatical errors. There are more than twelve uh, punctuation issues, and this is my favorite: the the Arabic word for vision. They, they mistranslated it as the Arabic word for dream. And I think there is a point because the Palestinians have to be asleep to believe Kushner's <laughs> Kushner plan. That's gold. That's now, gold. now do, you, do you reckon the so, reason uh, was because they could, that no Arab linguist with integrity refused to have anything to do with it? Or do you reckon they actually got someone who actually spoke out and he deliberately put I don't, No, no, no. I think they didn't have this quality assurance uh, 
this is a reflect. Well, while it might be a secondary issue. Have you sent your resume there? Uh, uh, <laughs> imagine if I am the official translation. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, you'll never know. We'll see. But I think this is a reflection of their lack of uh, seriousness. The lack of care. The lack of care. Whatever. Let's put together anything. And there was there's no there is no uh, care there is no attention there is no competence in handling the whole thing. So mm. what happens in the Arabic translation is an extension to every other aspect, mm. to the failure in the whole thing. And uh, while while this is a tiny little thing, but it is indicative mm. to the bigger picture. And mm. I, and literally, I'm I'm going to put together a report with a list of all the spelling and grammar issues. And I'm go. Uh, well, I was approached by even uh, uh, outlets, uh, media outlets in the Arab world, and they said, "Yeah, we'll we'll publish it for you." So this is going to be my game for the next few days. Wow. Fantastic! Yeah, fantastic. The fact that they use the word prosperity uh, to me is, more than seventy times misspelled. Thing. I mean, that's that's a joke. So you're listening to Palestine Remembered on 855 AM and our guest, uh, Michael Sheikh, uh, today. Welcome again, uh, Michael. Mm, good to be here. So, uh, Robert, uh, I believe that um, uh, we might uh, want to touch on the Channel 10 uh, program. Yes, so there was you, a TV show. I, actually, I did see it. And, mm. You know, most of it was pretty good. There were some issues that I didn't agree with putting in. But I believe that that's what he had to do for to get it on to mm. commercial TV. Mm. It's uh, Todd Sampson's body hack. He was originally going over there to film ambulances, and he was only supposed to be there for a few days. Ended up staying there for a month. Um, and on, on the project, which is a, a news place, a news channel here in Melbourne, he was on there saying that he really feels for the Palestinians after being there, uh, which is a great thing. And one of our listeners wrote us something about it, and I thought I'd read it. So this yeah, is yeah. This is uh, Ray uh, Higgs. Ray Higgs, uh, our dear listeners. Yeah, so we thought listener. we would. Uh, I watched a TV program about Gaza. It was called Tom Sam- Sampson's Body Hack on Channel Ten. The presenter, Todd Sampson, travelled to the Gaza Strip. He arrived during the March of Return, where to date over twenty-eight thousand people have been killed. Twenty-eight thousand have been injured, and two hundred and eighty have been killed in the weekly protests. Todd is brave to go into such dangerous places. He is lucky to survive the bullets, the bombs buzzing around him. Others are not so lucky. But those who live in Gaza are far, far braver, as the TV program showed. Danger is a daily thing. Only four hours of electricity each day impacts essential services like hospitals. Many buildings are just rubble due to the Israeli bombing. The children play in the street because there are no parks. And the Palestinian fishermen get shot at by the Israeli Navy if they venture out too far where the fish are. Israeli drones and Air Force constantly fly over, 60% unemployment rate, so many hobbling around on crutches from being shot in the legs, and you sure don't see anyone overweight. This is obviously because they don't get uh, enough food. This brutal blockade has made Gaza a prison from hell. They are being punished by Israel for doing no wrong. The world needs to see this cruel injustice because Israel has made Gaza unlivable, a place with no hope. And so it's, well, it's pretty th- thank you, Thank you, Ray, for uh, sending us uh, your reflections on the program. Uh, while we might not agree on everything on the program, uh, we, there are th- definitely things that we, th- we thought, that, uh, thought uh, that the program producers did in purpose to maybe make it like a, a balanced uh, I think program. he had to do that. Uh, but, you know, 
good for Channel 10 to put it on because mm. a lot of people saw, uh, you know, people actually getting shot, amputations, the, exactly how they live. And Todd Sampson couldn't believe that he was getting shot at and he was there as a press person. Mm. Mm. And he was a fair way from the, from the fence. Uh, but he also went on the, na- on the ships, on the, uh, the fishing ships. And, mm. you know, they shot at the fishing boats as well. And you could see the bullets ricocheting off the water. And so, you know, for, for a guy to go over there and spend a month and immerse himself with the family and the culture there, uh, he came back a different person. And so d- try and find it on, uh, on the internet, Channel 10's Todd Sampson's The Body Hack. And uh, he was asked uh, on the project, like you said, uh, if that visit uh, changed him and if he, he uh, picked a side. And he said that I came back with so much sympathy mm. uh, for the Palestinian people. And uh, I, th- I guess it takes a stranger maybe one or two, let's say one week maximum, to, to realize the big lie that you see in the mainstream media when it comes to the representation of the Palestinian issue, to see that these are uh, besieged people for more than 13, 14 years now, and they have challenges on every aspect of life, mm. mostly because of the siege, but not to mention that, you know, the financial and electricity uh, blackout, etc. And, uh, and the loss of family members. And loss of family members, and no financial um, uh, very high unemployment mm. rates, very uh, every parameter, every in uh, every element in uh, uh, maybe and anything that could go wrong is on its way to go wrong 100%. in Gaza. So, in light of all that, uh, one could only really uh, sympathize with the people. You don't have to be Palestinian or uh, pro-Palestinian to just uh, sympathize with them. It's, it was one of the most graphic shows I've ever seen on Gaza um, and having a press guy put himself on the line. So that was a, was a good thing. And I've seen lots of shows on Gaza. Mm. This was the most uh, in-your-face of how they shoot. You could hear the bullets going past him. So, you know, scary So stuff. thanks for your uh, uh, reflections, uh, Ray. And um, Michael, before the end of the show, I want to uh, touch on the... Um, the riots in Israel uh, and the Ethiopian uh, issue. Um, I guess the main question is Israel racist towards its own people. Um, short answer is yes. Um, look, th- there's a lot of racism in police forces around the world, and I'm not excusing what happens in Australia to our indigenous population and to African migrants um, at the hands of the police. Um, I suppose the difference is that Australia is a post-colonial society, whereas Israel is a fully colonial society, and the police there are trained to brutalise non-white indigenous people. Even so, if, even if they are Jews. Well, you know, so it's easily translatable to non-white immigrants such mm. as African. Uh, you know, um, and most Israelis don't actually accept um, if they're blacks Jews. as. Equal. equal citizens, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. So, um, I, I mean, you know, the primary victims are, of course, the Palestinians, but Jewish minorities also get a hard time, which is ironic because, in a lot of cases, they're um, some of the most um, hardcore anti Palestinian um, people they are. In a lot of cases, that's because they're rejected as Jews, and one of the ways they can prove themselves to be more Jewish when they're in the army is to show 
No mercy on the Palestinians. Yeah. I saw also some of the graffitis by the Falashas. Death to the Arabs, death to police. Why is it? Why us? (laughs) We didn't do anything. Exactly. So um, I don't want to be judgmental and try to say I sympathize, I support, I don't support. I try to rationalize this scene and see there is police brutality in several countries, including Israel. Uh, and there are elements of, you know, blacks versus the mainstream non-black. But also the Ethiopian Jews, like you said, they probably had to express their anti- anti-Palestinian sentiment more than the rest to prove that they can fit in in the main uh, group. And there are several cases of more brutality by colored uh, Jews uh, on the checkpoints, including Arab Jews, including the Moroccan Jews, including the Yemeni Jews. Uh, One of the, I mean, I haven't lived in occupied Palestine, haven't been there, but I have read and heard so many stories of Yemenite and Moroccan and Iranian uh, uh, Jews being harsher than the mainstream, uh, uh, let's say, uh, non-colored soldiers at the checkpoints particularly. So I don't want to uh, limit this issue to the Palestinian part of the story because there is more to the story than the Palestinian element, definitely. But uh, it is another reminder that Israel is a Sikh society. Yeah, you know, it's fascinating because you can see the same dynamics in every colonial society. I think there was a book written once about how the Irish became white Mm. um, when they migrated to America. And they were considered the lowest of the low in the late um, 19th century. But by joining the struggle against black emancipation, Mm. they gradually became accepted, as did the Italians, as did the Jews. And um, it's happened in Australia as well. Now, I I remember... um, Tony Abbott saying Greek Australians are a great example of how immigrants have assimilated. Now, if you go back to 1970s, they were rubbish. Mm. Now you have Scott Morrison saying how great Chinese Australians are. They're not like Arabs and Africans and Mm. people like that. And it's like uh, almost it's uh, a rite of initiation that um, you can get into that Henri master race status um, but by rubbishing the people who come after you in, in mm. a way, or, and especially rubbishing the indigenous people. Th- there was a time when there was a Black Panther movement in Israel in the 1970s, and they were mainly made up of immigrants from the Arab world who were facing incredible discrimination, mm. and they were in solidarity with the Palestinians, and they tried to build bridges. So... It's not impossible that that kind of solidarity can be built again. In fact, Rob, I once saw a fascinating interview with you with Nurit Pellad Elahan, and she was talking about African migrants to Israel who were indoctrinated to be anti-Arab and how yeah. she took them over to meet Palestinians and they realised how much they had in common yeah. as common victims of um, Israeli racism and stuff like that. So there's always that possibility of solidarity as well as, you know, that divide-and-conquer strategy. that Guys, we have one minute left, and there is an important guest coming to Melbourne, uh, Michael. Yes, Orly Noy has been brought over by the Australian Jewish Democratic Society. She's an Iranian immigrant to Israel, and she'll be talking about the challenge that Zionism presents to Oriental Jews. 
On Monday, the 8th of July at 7.30, we have an intimate evening and conversation with Oli Noy and Nouda Mansour, and this is at the Moroccan Soup Bar. And also another one. Yes, at 6.30 next Wednesday, she'll be speaking at the State Library on the topic An Iranian-Israeli Response to Zionism. So hopefully we'll have the opportunity to speak to Orly in future episodes. Uh, I guess with this we've come to the end uh, of this uh, week's edition of Palestine Remembered. Uh, we say thank you to Michael, most certainly. Thanks for coming. Thank, thank you very much. Always pleasure to talk to you, uh, Michael. So thank you, Michael, again. And Hi, thank you welcome. to our all uh, listeners for uh, listening in to another edition of Palestine Remembered. Until we, And also I want to say thank you to Ray for sending his reflections uh, on uh, the program on Gaza. Until we meet uh, next uh, Saturday, this is uh, Robert, Yusuf and Nasser wishing you the best of time and salam.